Well, hello, everyone, and it is great to see you guys. And honestly, we could like pack my part up, just go back and sing that song again, because pretty much that whole song is like everything I'm going to talk about tonight. And so uh, like that, that's just where we want to land. But before we get into that good stuff, like do me a favor, tilt your head a little bit to the left, and then look at this part of the set right there. Like tell me like this is the way, like the Mandalorian's helmet's right there. You guys see it? Like it's right, it's like right there to the side. It's like been bugging me for weeks now, and like now, now it's my chance on stage, so haha, you see it too. Okay, but uh, like, and now you won't hear anything else I say all night long. And I, I hope that's the least valuable thing I say uh, all day too. So, uh, but it's been good to be with you guys, and uh, this, this weekend, what we're doing for this whole series really is we're having a little bit different conversations on the weekend, uh, where we're really just kind of like opening up and saying like, here's our story. Here's a part of what God has done in our life. Here are some of the aha moments that we've been able to experience. And here's some of the ways in which honestly, God has just gotten our attention and the ways in which God has said, hey, you, I'm trying to get a hold of you. I'm trying to pull you in closer to me. I'm trying to show you what this relationship looks like. And to be honest, if we haven't had that type of moment in our faith journey, then like I would, I would, press pause in a pretty serious way because honestly the way that the faith kind of works it's it's actually very tempting to mimic the life that God offers because we're wanting that experience and then we can find ourselves when we go through certain valleys or even sometimes on certain mountaintop experiences and we start to push God away because we feel a little bit empty we feel a little bit like there's a void in our life and if we haven't had these moments where God gets our attention and we give our over to him, then we're not going to be able to fully have the life that sometimes people like me are able to share with you. So if you've missed uh, this series at all, Pastor Jeff shared a couple of weeks ago and kind of walked us through this whole idea that honestly, one of the aha moments we need to have is we need to decide that we're actually going to follow God, that we're going to follow Jesus. Josh last week did a phenomenal job as he walked us through his story and kind of showed us that like God wants you. God accepts the opportunity to bring you into his family. Go listen to that podcast, website, app, wherever you want to find it. It is there. It was fantastic. And this evening, uh, this weekend, I want to kind of continue this conversation along and kind of like peel back the curtain a little bit. Some of you uh, know me better than others. And one of the things is I asked a few of my friends and family, like, what are some of the things that they think about me? One of the words that kind of kept coming back up, which it was a little bit surprising to me, was confidence. Uh, they saw me as a pretty confident person. And so, for instance, like, I don't mind standing in front of a few hundred people a couple thousand people over the weekend and sharing my story. Like, I can do that. Uh, there's some confidence when I tend to walk into a room. Uh, like, and I don't think of myself that way. And part of that is because of my story, which I'm gonna be getting into here in a little bit. Um, it's amazing to me that that word kept coming up because of how different that is than the experience I had growing up. And so I would love to share a little bit of that with you because I think a lot of us, we resonate with some type of insecurity, uh, whether that's something about how we look, how we think, how we act, uh, our shortcomings at school or work, uh, not being able to kind of uh, succeed. Maybe we've gotten broken by some type of uh, system or some type of uh, issue hitting our life and we feel like it's a burden that we can't bear and now we feel insecure about how we take next steps in our life. Whatever that is, like I think insecurity is a pretty common thing, but then some of us 
us, we deal with it in varying levels, and we certainly all deal with it in different ways. And so I want to kind of walk you through this because, honestly, the person that you would see today, Joe Caruso, is not the person that you would have seen 20 years ago, is not the person that you would have seen, and here's the linchpin, before I gave my life to Christ. And I want to talk to you about kind of how I got there and how this worked in my life, and I hope that God starts to shed light in different ways for you. One of the things that's really powerful about story is that they all resonate with us differently. That's why your story matters. That's why your story counts, because there are other people on this earth that are living a life that resonates with parts of your journey. And so when they hear about how God got a hold of your life, when they hear about the valleys that you've walked through, when they hear about the mountaintops that you've been able to climb over, like they hear themselves, they see themselves in those pictures and they start to realize maybe God's for me too. Maybe God wants to interact with me too. And maybe that's where some of you are at tonight. And so that's what I pray that God would do um, this weekend. And so Let's take a look. I, I want to kind of uh, walk you through, start to get, paint a picture for you about what my life was like. And to start, I want to kind of start on the, the spiritual side of things. And so I grew up in a church. Uh, my grandfather was the pastor of a small church. And so I was at church multiple days a week. Um, most of the folks that went to that church were related. It was a pretty small church. Uh, and so like my youth group growing up was me and my two cousins. Ta-da! Like it was just like that was youth group. That was my church experience growing up. And the other thing about that church, it was very uh, hellfire and brimstone, if you're familiar with that phrase. Like every week at church, it felt like uh, I was learning more and more ways that I was destined for hell. Uh, Like I was a terrible person. And that was kind of like actually woven into me at a pretty young age. And so like this actually started to bother me a lot. I actually like had a deep seated fear that I had no way to escape imminent hell, that that's what was coming my way. Matter of fact, it got so kind of crazy that it got to the point where I was, whenever I would look at the clock, it felt like every time I looked at the clock, it said 11.34. Now, some of you are like, okay, so what? But every time I saw this on the clock, I saw this, okay? Like, I saw you're going to hell, okay? So I got, like, a little bit freaked out. I felt like I saw this twice a day. I'd see it in the morning. I'd see it on even analog clocks. I'd look at them, like, even the long hand is mocking me. It's 34 again, you know? Like, I would see it on analog clocks. I'd see it on digital clocks. And the whole time, it felt like it was a consistent sign where God was pointing at me and saying, I got your attention to look at that clock on purpose because, Joe, you're going to hell, right? Like, this was constant. And because of the way that I was being engaged with in a spiritual uh, kind of uh, arena growing up, it resonated. It wasn't like, oh, this is probably coincidence. I know that God, no, it was like, this is exactly what I know about God and I am going to hell. I'm done for. Like, and it started to cripple me. Now, this started to plan out in all different kinds of ways in my life. Matter of fact, even my mom, I love my mom. She was a wonderful woman. Um, But like, she would say things to me like, well, do you know where liars go? Like, I'm like, to hell. You know, it was just like, these were the conversations that I'm having growing up. Like, that was her way of threatening me to try to, like, do the right thing, is she would threaten me with hell. Who does that if you do stop, okay? Like, don't use hell to parent. It's not a good tactic. My counselor would attest. Okay, so, like, we don't want to do that. And, of course, I had seen 
the videos. I was very curious what would happen if I was left behind. Okay, if the rapture came and suddenly I wasn't there. And obviously I was going to be left behind because 1134, I'm going to hell. And so I had seen those things. I, had, I knew I was a sinner. I knew my own thoughts and actions. I believed that I was a terrible person. I believed all these things. And then it started to get intense. And by then, I mean, I'm talking like when I, it st- this, what I'm about to say started when I was about five or six years old. And it lasted until well into my teen years. I was absolutely bombarded with intense spiritual demonic nightmares. Like intense. Like I'd be sleeping in my house. My family would be sleeping in my house. And all of a sudden, these giant, ugly, nasty demons would be ripping the roof off and grabbing us out of our beds and dragging us to hell. These are the nightmares I'm having as a child. And I'd run to my parents and they, they, wouldn't, they would pray for me, but they wouldn't know what to do. And these nightmares plagued me multiple times a month, if not multiple times a week, to the point to where I was scared to go to sleep. I was scared to even try to go to sleep. I'd stare at the wall at night and I would see, you ever like have a dream and then like you wake up and you like kind of see your dream still kind of sort of playing out like that was happening on the wall. So even as I was trying to fall back asleep, these images just, I can't shake them. And so now I got these nightmares. Now it's 1134. Now my mom is saying this phrase. My church is saying I'm a terrible person. I'm destined for hell. And it is soaking in. I'm like, man, what do I do with this? I, I had no idea what to do with this. Now, that's one picture. Let me now paint a little bit of a picture on kind of who I was. In other words, like who you would have seen on the outside. I want to introduce you to a not so confident child named Joe Caruso. So um, growing up, Partly, I think this was a vicious cycle, partly because of how I viewed my fear of God and my fear of hell, but then also because of lots of other things that I'll share here in a minute. I just grew up extremely insecure. Like, I didn't like much about myself at all. Um, this was a picture of me as a child. Uh, the only, this is the last time I had money and the last time I had hair. Um, so... Um, but like, I'm like wearing one of those sweaters that Tim Allen's about to walk into the door and make fun of, you know, like this is like a big part of like who I was like, and it's a fun picture. And of course I'm smiling, but like I was a tall kid. I was a big kid and I was a clumsy kid. I was always one of the tallest ones in the class. Um, I, I, I remember like I teased my wife that I was like her size when I was 10, you know, it was just like, I, I, I've always had that as a part of who I am. And because of that size, like literally, I was clumsy. And so like in gym class, I was always the last kid to round the laps. And I was always the last kid to get picked for the team. And I couldn't shoot the basketball and I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. Nothing just seemed to click right. I was awkward, right? Like I was awkward with people. I wasn't allowed to play sports growing up. I don't know if that was because my parents just didn't want me to, or if they knew I'd be bad at them or whatever, but like I wasn't allowed to play the sports. And so even when my friends played them and I wanted to, that didn't happen. Um, I had a best friend like 
desert. Like I remember having a best friend named Matt in first grade, but then he moved away, the jerk. Uh, and so like he moved away and then I felt like I didn't have any friends and that didn't really rectify itself all the way through the rest of elementary school until one day I met a guy in fifth grade who moved to the city. So I couldn't even make friends with people that lived there. I just made friends with people that moved in, fooled him. Okay, so like, but I had these insecurities that kept mounting up and I kept blaming myself for all of it. I was the reason I didn't have any friends. I was the reason I couldn't figure out the sports thing. I was the reason that I was clumsy. I was the reason I was picked last. I was the reason for all of those things. And so just not to wallow in my own self-pity, which thankfully most seven-year-olds don't know how to do, I started just seeking approval. Anything I could do to get a pat on the back, anything that I could do to get some version of like, you're doing okay, you're good, whatever. And so thankfully, I was blessed with a pretty decent memory. And so that serves you very well in elementary school because most testing is, do you remember this? And so everything from spelling tests to math to whatever, like I could remember certain things and so I'd do pretty well and I would get some good grades and I would just chase that because the accolades that I'd get from teachers meant the world to me because I wasn't getting it in these other arenas of my life, and I certainly wasn't getting it from my peers, and my mom kept threatening me of hell. I don't mean to paint the wrong picture, but I got that a lot. So, like, it was just this whole deal. I kept chasing that and chasing that and chasing that, and even once I found that good friend in fifth grade, that need for approval had really, really locked in. Middle school comes, and you know, middle school is middle school. It's awkward for most people. But I remember we didn't have much money. I remember having a hard time uh, just with my outward appearance, both, again, as kind of a bigger, awkward kid. But then also, like, our wardrobe growing up in middle school consisted of what was on sale at Sears and Walmart. Like, that's what I got to wear. And so while all the other kids, at least it seemed that way, are wearing all the cool clothes and all the name brands, like, I'm, I'm like, you know... I got, you know, the husky pants, you know, like who na- who puts a whole category of sizes and then calls them husky? That's like mean. That's like people who sew the clothes going like this kid's going to need counseling. Like it's just like who, who does that, right? But that was my whole experience. And in middle school, I hated that. I remember my parents finally let me try out for Little League. And so uh, I got to play on the white socks and I had no idea what I was doing and I was really bad at baseball, um, but I got to play. Um, and so like, I remember like I couldn't throw very straight. So they put me on first base, but I couldn't catch very well. And so that doesn't work out very well for first base. It took me three years to get my first hit. Three years. Now, if I didn't mention this before, I was a big kid. It was a 330-foot shot over the right field fence. Home run. That was my first hit in baseball. I'm not even kidding you. And my coach was like, where's this been? And I'm like, I don't know. And it went away. I got one more hit that season. That was it. That was my whole (laughs) baseball hitting career. I got a home run and a double. Like, okay, that works. But like that continued to feed the like, I'm just not good at these things, right? So I remember just really kind of hating that phase of life because I couldn't figure things out. High school uh, changed the picture a little bit. Everything that I've told you about was drugged right into high school, except I started to catch up to some of the clumsiness a little bit um, because I was six foot two as a 14-year-old freshman. Um, And so, like, I haven't grown since I was 14. Like, that's I've been this tall since then. Um, And so I finally started to catch up to some of that. And when the coach, when the football coach saw a 235-pound, six-foot-two freshman walking down the hallway, he was like, come here. Uh, and he, he, he wanted me to don a football helmet, and so I got to play football some, and uh, that was a lot of fun. But even then, 
Like I remember just like trying to like show up and like start to create this image because I play football now, you know? And so it was just kind of like this tough guy look, you know? Like, and you're like, certainly that's an older picture of you, Joe. Like, no, I had a goatee at 14. Like this is who I, I mean, it's just like, I was big. I was old even when I was young. And so like none of that really played out for me. And I was always just trying to perpetuate some type of image because I felt like I was failing at everything. And even that first year of football was a disaster because I never played before, right? I remember the first time I got hit, I think I flew 10 yards. Like it was just absolutely terrible. And then even though it started to feel like maybe I have found a place where I can feel like I belong, some of the players start making fun of me in the locker room. Right, And so now I'm like hiding in the locker room and I'm like waiting till all the other kids are done with things. And I would tell the coach after a few weeks, but he didn't care and just shooed me to the side. And I'm like, well, that's fine. And maybe that one instant wouldn't have been that bad, but this was all mounting on top of itself. I'm already a kid who thinks nothing of myself. And the one place that starts to feel safe starts to crumble in on me as well. Music became a thing for me because, again, I'm still trying to find a place. And so I joined a couple of uh, the choirs in school, right? And then even then, I had my teammates now make fun of me because I'm in choir, right? So now even when I'm singing, I'm just like, you're dead to me. Like, I just, I don't even know what's going on, what's happening. Like, I don't know where I fit. Everything I try doesn't get me any approval. It doesn't get me anywhere. And the whole time, all of that spiritual, I'm absolutely destined for hell is screaming in my mind. And every time I thought I found a place that looked like home, it was another place to end up being afraid. This, this, this is how I grew up. Toward the end of high school in particular, I, uh, my next tactic turned like, if you've ever heard the phrase, hurting people hurt people, <clears throat> um, I basically became a, a, a verbal bully. If you weren't in my, whatever my version of a circle was, like I needed to figure out, I, I should say, I found out that for moments in time, I could feel a little bit better about myself if I made you feel bad about yourself. Because I just needed some version of a win. And so my, my intensity grew and my anger grew and all of those insecurities grew. And I remember like it just got to the place to where a lot of my pictures, I was either smiling because these were the people I was hoping to fit in with or they were intense. <laughs> like my senior, you know, it was just like, I'm gonna kill you. You know, it was just like this type of goal. And even like who frosts their tips? Like who does that, right? Like it's just me trying to fit in again, like all these different things. And again, this was just, this was just the surface stuff. Because on the inside, I actually felt like I was a terrible person. The things that I would think about, about classmates or girls, the things I was chasing after, the things that were important to me, the things like, it actually perpetuated the idea that I was a terrible person. That had no home. They had very few real friends that was destined for hell. And I'm absolutely scared that anybody would actually know who I really am. Because if you knew me during those years, you may say to yourself like, Joe, I don't, I don't remember that version of you necessarily. Or <laughs> I know some friends, or I should say some acquaintances that have verified this is exactly who you were because you treated me that way. 
But any of the good that I was able to perpetuate throughout all of my school years was a mask. I was just trying to figure it out and fit in. That's all I wanted. It was a place to call home. But my failures, my consistent outcast feelings of not belonging, they just drove me deeper and deeper and deeper and farther and farther and farther away from anything that was good. You see, I thought that if God knew me in my innermost parts, that certainly he'd reject me. I felt like I had very little to show. For all of my efforts, for all of my trying, I couldn't win. I was a jerk, or I was a fraud, or I just couldn't do it, or I was an absolute mess in my thoughts, and I just thought, if you knew who I actually was, you'd never want to know me. When I thought of God, I didn't feel comfort, I felt fear. When I heard things like God is all-knowing and can see everything, that freaked me out. When I thought about eternity, hell was way more real to me than heaven. My failures were at the forefront of my mind every day, and every time I heard some version of that God was loving or that there was no condemnation in God, I thought, that's not my experience. I don't have the peace that that particular person or that particular one sermon would talk about. I don't have that kind of contentment. I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. And the same memory that helped me get some good grades throughout school was plaguing me when it came to this because I was remembering every failure. I was remembering every time I had those thoughts, every time I treated someone that way, every time I acted out, every time that I was made fun of, every, I, I remembered it all. Some of you that know me well, you're like, boy, Joe, this, it's hard to see you this way. I had a couple people close to me this week as I was kind of sharing a little bit. They said a version of that, and I said, that, that's what God did in my life. If, if you know me at all, and if this version of the story would be somewhat surprising to you, that's, that's actually my point, is God changed a whole lot. I remember sitting in the small church that I grew up in a week after I graduated high school. I remember being absolutely overwhelmed with this question that why isn't God feeling real to me? Why don't I feel that contentment and that peace? Because now everything that even felt kind of good, kind of familiar, had just disappeared. Because my grades were done. High school was over. And I actually quickly found out that that type of good grades doesn't work in college. Remembering things doesn't work in college. You actually have to like study and like work on stuff. And I didn't do that. That was all fleeting. Football as I knew it was over. Any comfort or familiarity I found there was going out the window. My friends were all going different directions. They weren't going to the college I was going to. I had my whole future in front of me and instead of feeling excited, I feel absolutely broken. Instead of feeling like I actually have a future, I actually feel like my past has finally caught up to me. 
And here I am sitting in the pew of this church, six foot two, 270 pounds, and I'm bawling my eyes out. I don't know, this, this, this large man is sitting here just losing his mind because I don't know what's next and God seems like he's so far away. God, I'm trying, where are you? I'm trying to be a good person and I keep falling flat on my face. I'm just trying to fit in, but I keep running to these vices that are starting to destroy me. I keep hearing a few people talk about there's peace in you and there's contentment in you and there's love in you and I don't see it. God, where are you? And I'm screaming through my head because it's inappropriate apparently just to get up and start screaming in church. I don't recommend it. But in my head, I'm like screaming to God, where are you? Why don't you resonate with me? And for the first moment in my life, I felt like God spoke directly to me. I actually felt like he reached down and like, held my heart in the best of ways, but that's all I can describe it as. And I felt like with a comforting voice, he said, you've never given yourself to me. You're, you're, you're trying to earn everything. You're trying to prove yourself. You're trying to show that you can make it happen. You're trying to show that you're good enough. And what those 18 years of my life had definitely proven is that that wasn't working because I was an utter mess. I was falling apart. And I knew that even if I could figure out a way to live the rest of my life perfectly, that the weight of everything that had happened before would make it all crumble and go away. Now, I, at the moment, I didn't know what God necessarily meant when he said, you never gave yourself to me. But I can tell you at that very moment, I suddenly felt peace. Because I actually walked down, there was an altar at that church, a place to kneel down and pray. And I walked down to that altar and I said, Jesus, I'm yours. I've tried everything else. I can't do it. Every version of success that I've seen in the muster continues to mock me. I'm falling apart and for the first time you feel real to me and as you motioned those words somehow spiritually into my heart for the first time, I feel like there might be a home that I could rest in. I felt comforted like never before. I felt safe. I felt okay. This is what my soul had been longing for, a place that I belonged. I didn't have to pretend anymore. God knew all of my imperfections. He didn't reject me. He loved me anyway. Later on in my journey, as I started to read the scripture with what felt like new eyes, I wasn't just reading the textbook that I had kind of grown up with. I wasn't just reading words that someone had told me to read. I was reading this ancient text and I felt like God was jumping off the page and reassuring me and helping me know who he was and who I was for the very first time. 
And I remember stumbling across this passage. And ironically, at first, and we're going to read it here in a minute on the screen, it doesn't seem very comforting, but it comforted me. In Romans 3, it said this, as it's written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. On an individual basis, this is exactly how I felt growing up. I'm terrible. I'm not righteous. I'm not seeking God. I'm seeking my own pleasures and I'm seeking my own path. I'm seeking my own version of trying to escape from hell. I felt worthless. I can't describe to you how much that word resonated with me. But here's where the comforting part came in this passage. There is no one, no one righteous. You see, so much of my childhood and teen years were spent assuming that everybody else had their act together and I was the only one falling behind. That I was the only one that couldn't figure it out. That I was the only one that was failing. That I was the only one with the nasty thought life and the evil desires. That I was the only one that would treat people that way. That I was the only one that would wish those things on people. That I was the only one wearing a mask. That I was the only one that was a fraud and a failure. I thought I was the only one. And when I finally started to see passages like this, it says, no, 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 no. This is ironically encouraging. We're all terrible. None of us can figure this out. None of us are ahead of each other in the game of trying to prove ourselves to God. That's not the game. I felt this and then I realized the the truth of this for the first time in a major, major way. And then other passages like this in 1 John chapter 1 says, if we confess our sins, now, if we confess all the junk and unrighteousness that we have in our life, if we bring that before God, if we give it to him, he is faithful, he is just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. I I can't express how much this passage rocked me. Because my whole life up until this point, I was trying to purify myself of my unrighteousness. I was trying to have my own sins forgiven. Like, if I do this enough, and I can mask myself enough, maybe you'll forget about all the junk. I was trying to cover it up. And God's promise to each and every person that's ever lived is if you come to me, if you acknowledge that you can't do it on your own, if you decide that you want to turn away from that life and you want to give yourself over to me, I will forgive you. Handled. I will purify you. The things that we want our life to be about, the ways in which we wish our thoughts and our motives and our heart and our actions would change. God says, I will do that in you. I started to realize that I I didn't have to create a good version of me. I already have a creator. I don't need to create. He's already created me and he already loves me. I was trying to rewrite my script. I was trying to say in some weird way that I could figure this out. And God's 
simply nudging me saying, I already have you figured out. All the glimpses of the good that's in you, I put that in you. And all the things that you hate about yourself, I love you anyway. And if you trust me, I'll start to change that for you. It wasn't up to me to fix me. I didn't have to figure out how to get all my ducks in a row, to get all my things in order. I just needed him to show me who I really was. I realized that I needed to trust who God actually is. He's someone that loves me at my worst. And he's someone who can make me my best. He's, he's the author of my life. He started it. He put it into motion. He put me here for a reason. And now he is perfecting my faith. He's making me more and more like him. The goodness, whatever amount of goodness that you see in me is the Lord. Galatians 2.20 says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I've given myself over to Jesus. Let him guide me. Let him change me. Many of you, you might need to hear this right now that you don't have to fix yourself. So many of us, I think, are tempted, even before we come to church, we're like, I gotta fix myself before I'm allowed in. And if you ever heard that, I'm sorry, but it's not true. We, don't, we can't fix ourselves. We can't do it. I tried for a long time. You can't. Jesus is the one that does the work inside of us. Jesus is the one that changes us from the inside out. 1 John chapter 4, I love this passage. It so helped me. Says, this is how we know that we live in him and he's in us. He's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone, oh boy, how much I love those two words. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. If anyone, that passage doesn't continue. If anyone figures out how to fix themselves, God will give you a second look. That's not what that says. And yet so many times I've had so many conversations and I've resonated so many instances. That's how we feel. I just got to get it all right. Then God will talk to me. I had a really rough day today. I, I don't deserve to pray. I can't read the Bible. Do you know how I spoke today? I can't. And we talk ourselves out of it. And God is saying, I'm the one that does this work in you. Ironically, the more time we spend away from him trying to fix ourselves, the less fixed we're getting because we're not going to the source of the solution. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us 
so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. When I gave myself to Christ that Sunday morning, when I put my life in his hands, he drove out my fear. He put an end to it. It was done. Those nightmares that plagued me until I was 18 years old, as a grown man crying in bed, not able to fall asleep, I haven't had one of them since. Jesus changed how I saw myself. I no longer had to stand before the mirror as a person. I had to prove myself to God. I stood in front of the mirror as, you mean, you mean like I'm God's son? Like he's invited me into his family? Like I'm a part of who he is now? And I began to see these changes in, in the way that I spoke and the things I was interested in, the things that drove me, my attitude towards people. By all means, I am not perfect. <laughs> Got lots of people that could verify that for you. But I can verify a ton and lots of people can verify this. I have changed a lot since that moment when God said, just give yourself to me. We need him. I realized that I had strengths and that I had weaknesses. But God is teaching me and has taught me that when I have weaknesses, that's when I lean on him. When I have failures, that's when I lean on him. When I can't do it on my own, that's when I lean on him and his people. You ever hear the cliche that God won't give you more than you can handle? Did you know that that's not what that means? Did you know that that verse is actually that God will not allow you to experience temptation that you can't overcome with him? But that the scripture actually over and over and over and over again actually says things like you can't handle this. You desperately need God and you're meant to live in community with others because you can't do it on your own. So every time you feel alone and weakened, and like you can't muster up enough strength, but then you're trying to tell yourself, but apparently I'm supposed to be able to get through this. God's actually trying to say, come to me. Lean on his people. Let's do this together. You're mine. If you know me or you feel like you're getting to know me, you may see a person that has some confidence, but I can promise you that wasn't always there. Any version of that you saw before I gave my life to Christ was a mask. It was a number on a football jersey. It was a role in a play. It was a song that I could sing. It was a grade that I was able to muster up, but it wasn't me. I was just trying to figure it out. Now, I can finally rest in who God says I am. Sure, the insecurities creep in from time to time. Sometimes I still get defensive. Sometimes I still wonder if I'm good enough. Sometimes I try to accomplish my way through something. That doesn't fully ever go away. We're in the flesh. We're here on earth. But in those moments, 
God has been pretty faithful to continue to get my attention and to remind me, this is where we all started, remember Joe? And he pulls me back out of it. He reminds me of the people he's put in my life. He reminds me who he is. And through that, he reminds me of who I am. If you're looking at God like he can't wait to send you to hell, you're not looking at God. If you're looking at God wondering why on earth he would create you with so many shortcomings, I don't think you're seeing a clear picture of God. If you think when you read something positive in the Bible or when you hear a sermon that speaks positively about the potential of your future and you don't think it applies to you, that's not the voice of God telling you that. The only thing we should be afraid of is denying God. The only thing we should be afraid of is are we willing to step into giving our lives over to Christ? Keeping ourselves separated from him is what's scary. That's what builds the fear. Because in him, it's life. In him, it's home. In him, it's love. And no matter where we're at right now, he's saying, come home. Will you give yourself to me? Will you follow, will you trust me? I am good, I am love. And I'm telling you folks, everything I can find in the scripture, and I've read it cover to cover in all different ways and sideways tons of times, is that God wants us and he wants us to come home. And my personal experience echoes that. Even if I somehow can't articulate the depth of what God has done in my life, I can personally say that God has done that in me and it's a miracle. I don't have application steps for you today. I can't tell you to go try out for the football team or to stop looking at the clock when you do. The only thing I can do is pray and hope that God would nudge your heart that you would trust that he wants you. That you would trust that in his heart, arms, you, you can't be more home than when you're with God. You can't be more you than you're with God. You can't have more life than when you're with God. And if this can be prayerfully some type of aha moment for you, then praise him and be thankful that he loves you so much that he's still trying to get your attention. And whether you've never said, I wanna give my life to you or whether you've been doing it for decades and he's doing something else in you right now, let us listen to that and respond to that. I love the lyrics to this song that we're about to sing. It, <laughs> I actually didn't know we were singing it until almost service time this weekend. And as I was remembering the lyrics, I thought, that's it. That's the prayer. So I pray in this moment together.
that God would do something that only he can do. That he would get your attention because he loves you. Because he wants you. Because he's asking you, will you give your life to me? Will you pray with me? Father God, I need you. We need you. There's no way to do it on our own. There's no way to experience the fullness of life without giving ourselves over to you. There's no way to fix ourselves. There's no way to overcome anything without having the power of God resonating in us. You are the one that transforms lives. You are the one that offers us life. You are the one that forgives us and purifies us and leads us home. God, shake us until we say yes. Hold on to us as we say yes again and again and again. Amen.